This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hi guys, welcome to the episode 47th of our podcast, The SOS Show. I'm your host, Suchita, and uh, today we are talking about suicides and depression, something that has been occupying us for a while now and an uproar on social media. And we're talking about two specific cases here. One is Dr. Anurag Kumar, whom we lost on July 11th, and we're talking about another high-profile case of the Bollywood actor, Sushant Singh. And we are wondering that how do we use the word depression are all the suicides because of depression and how are we defining that depression we also talk about the social media uproar and a spate of suicides that we are witnessing please join me in welcoming dr sumitra patare who is a consultant psychiatrist and director of center for mental health law and policy at ils he has contributed to the who mental health policy and service guidance package he has worked as a consultant in various countries and assisted them in developing mental health policy and drafting and implementing mental health legislation he has helped draft india's new mental health law and was a member of the policy group appointed by the ministry of health and family welfare government of india to draft a new mental health policy for india find him on his twitter handle with the name dr samitra patare hi samitra welcome to yet another episode of our podcast the sos show and thank you for taking our time and joining in and uh, if you remember samitra you were there uh, in episode number 32 on april 4th of the podcast as well where we're talking about suicide and covid related suicides and this time we are continuing the discussion on suicides but different kinds of suicides yeah thank you suchita thank you for inviting me again uh, it's a pleasure chatting with you uh, look forward to the discussion thank you samitra i have been following you on twitter and of course there is a lot of rage that's happening there it's almost like a battleground and i get petrified a lot many times and avoid going there uh one was on july 11th when dr anurag kumar the junior doctor in the department of psychiatry jumped to death and uh there was a lot of talk about it about the death by suicides of doctors and then of course there has been a spate of suicides in bollywood the indian film industry with regard to actors and specifically one high profile suicide that's been doing the round of sushant uh, singh rajput So so Mr tell me how do you react uh, to these suicides and since both of them are being labeled as depression like it's been loosely used specifically for the bollywood actors are these depressions the same it's a different kind of depressions i mean how do we use the word depression uh suchita thanks for asking this question i think this this is a very important thing uh, you know uh, as you rightly said that there's been a lot of uh, uh, disquiet there's been a lot of anger there's been a lot of fear uh, with all of these suicides and i think these are all very very understandable uh, reactions that people have uh, when there are these suicides you know i mean that that has to be uh, perfectly i mean for me it is perfectly uh, understandable and explainable why these things happen because uh, you know death is something that uh, affects all of us and what happens is many of us uh, will kind of think oh my god can it be me or can it be someone i know personally so these are fears that are quite understandable uh, to turn to your specific question about uh, 
uh, about uh, depression. I think uh, what happens is that depression as a term has always been a problem because there is a kind of common man's understanding of depression. You know, there is a colloquial term that depression is used uh, loosely, not loosely, but generally used by everybody, all of us. Uh, and that has a certain meaning. Uh, and then you have the clinicians using the term depression and that has another meaning, you, you know, and that is yes. different. Uh, when they mean depression versus what the average person might call a depression. Uh, unfortunately, what has happened is because both the words are same, uh, then you start getting this conflation. You don't know whether, you know, and people assume that what the clinicians call depression is also what the public calls depression. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think there are significant differences. The clinicians are talking of a, of a medical condition. Uh, of a medical condition with certain very clear features and symptoms when they mean depression. Uh, the average public uses depression to mean anything. You know, it could mean like I saw a movie and felt depressed uh, or I, you know, I saw a movie or I had some, I heard some news and I felt depressed. I think what has happened is uh, a lot of times uh, people use the word depression when they want to kind of say they felt sad. Uh, yes. Uh, common parlance and and depression is not the common sadness that you and I experience you know you, mm. it's very difficult for someone who's never suffered from a clinical depression or not experienced a clinical depression to understand what the experience of depression is it's a, it's a qualitatively different feeling of sadness it's actually a feeling of emptiness in many ways it's not necessarily the kind of sadness that you and I experience which is a normal human emotion uh, and so this is what leads to all these problems. And I wish at some stage there was a different word for the clinical condition and for what is commonly called as depression. But I'm very sure what will happen is that, you know, that term will get kind of taken up again. So, you know, there have been attempts at calling it a major depressive disorder or calling it clinical depression to identify it from being separate from the, the everyday feeling of sadness, which people call depression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That has really not taken off. But I, I, I mean, I, I do think that it is important for everybody to understand that the clinician's concept of depression is very different from the average layperson when they use depression to mean they, were, they felt sad or they got upset after seeing something. Sure. So, so you mean to say that the depression that Dr. Anurag Kumar felt was a different depression than perhaps the spate of Bollywood actor suicide that has been labeled as depression. There are two different kinds of depressions and they're not the same. Well, I, I, I don't know what, uh, you know, I don't know uh, mm. what Kumar felt or had because I didn't treat him, but I know that there were doctors treating him. Right. Uh, and, and, and fundamentally at any, at any day, uh, every depression, every person's depression is unique. You know, every, just mm. like a person's diabetes is unique. Mm. Uh, so clearly there are commonalities when you have clinical depression, which means you have a set of symptoms, which all people who have been diagnosed with depression are likely to have or, or a cluster of symptoms that they are likely to have. So in that sense, no. And, and see, clinical depression exists in many states. So you can have somebody uh, who only experiences depression ever, you know, uh, right. there are 
people who experience both poles of the mood. So somebody who experiences depression and something else, which is called as mania. Now the word mania, again, in common parlance is used for all sorts of things. Uh, but when I mean to say mania, I'm talking about a clinical condition called mania. So some people might have a depression, which is different. And in that case, somebody who has what is this kind of what used to be previously called a manic depressive disorder and nowadays referred to as bipolar disorder because it has two poles, uh, the lower pole and the upper pole. Uh, you know, are, that is also depression. They can experience depression too. Mm -hmm. So there are many such clinical conditions. I And I think we also have to understand that depression is not merely uh, a medical condition. You know, mm -hmm. it is also a social condition. There are many... Yeah psychological and social factors, individual factors, there are social factors, uh, which not only affect your experience of a clinical episode of depression, but also affect your recovery from that clinical episode of depression. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's better to actually try and understand uh, everyone's depression as having commonalities, but also having some very individual features, depending mm -hmm. on their life circumstances. Absolutely. So, Samitra, tell me an external circumstance in which you are living or where you're working, uh, you know, can trigger uh, a, a severe clinical depression in you? Yes, anything can, mm -hmm. anything can uh, uh, trigger a depression in any, uh, any person who might be vulnerable for it. So, there is uh, almost... Uh, nothing uh, that has not been associated with triggering a depression. You know, the experience of trauma, for example, mm. can trigger a clinical episode of depression. Uh, the experience of, uh, uh, you know, a loss, for example, mm. uh, can trigger a depression. And the loss can be of any kind. Loss not only because of death, but there are other kinds of loss that you that one can uh, can experience and that can trigger a depression so so there are many such conditions which could trigger a depression it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other um so yeah any of this could could result in depression i mean that's that's clearly how it is sure and uh sumitra on on, if you remember, on July 26, 2019, there was a doctor called Payal Tarvi. She committed suicide because, or she died by suicide. Committed suicide is a term yeah. that's been used in the in the in the in the news uh, yeah. because she was mentally tortured by three students who drove her to suicide. So right. driving people to suicide—that's what her suicide note said. So. Uh, uh, Samitha, tell me, when, when we drive people to suicide, as the suicide note says, uh, what kind of state that person could perhaps be going through? And can we as a society, if we know about it, pull the person out or the person's, person has already made up their mind for it? And second, are there anything in the law that can punish these people who are driving them to suicide? Okay, with the Payal Tadvi case, I, I don't really like the word and the choice of word driving someone to suicide because that, uh, you know, sometimes implies uh, all kinds of meanings behind what driving means. So, mm -hmm. I, I would rather focus on is that can there be certain situations that are created by people or by circumstances which creates a situation where the person concerned then feels that suicide is the only option they have to get out of this intolerable situation. So, mm. for example, in Pyle Tadvi's case, the issue was 
uh, caste-based harassment that she faced. Yes. And she mm-hmm. said that the only way out of this intolerable situation was suicide. Uh, there will be other times when maybe a woman who's facing domestic violence or experiencing domestic violence feels that, uh, you know, the only way out of this intolerable situation is going to be suicide. Uh, there might be, say, a, for example, a businessman who experiences a huge financial loss uh, and that maybe then kind of perceive that suicide is the only way out of this because there's loss of face. I don't think this will ever recover and all of those kind of things that might happen to this person. Yeah. There are many such reasons. And as you can see, in in some cases, you could actually say, well, well, there was something that the other person did as a behavior, which pushed you towards suicide. And then there are uh, other cases where you probably can't say that at all, that it was any kind of harassment. So, uh, you, you know, the, the, there are differences. I don't think that every suicide uh, is driven by that. Uh, there is a, the law clearly has a thing which uh, has, uh, you know, there's section 306 in the Indian Penal Code, which mm-hmm. specifically talks about uh, abetment to suicide or abetment of suicide. Right. Uh, which really means that somebody has done something which forced this person to kill themselves. Uh, and that is a l- law which does exist. Uh, the issue really is that what has happened, unfortunately, in our discourse currently is that we have now latched on to this low notion that every time there is a suicide, somebody needs to be yet to blame. Mm. You mm. know, and sure. Yeah, I don't think that that's the right way about doing it. If you read the abetment to suicide clause and if you read a lot of those judgments on the Supreme Court about the abetment to suicide clause, they're very specific as to what would constitute abetment. And that every act, uh, just because somebody has died by suicide does not necessarily equate that there has to be a abetment and somebody is to blame. And, and I think somehow our entire social discourse and our discourse in our society and in our public spaces uh, has become that we feel that if somebody's died, then someone, let's find who is to blame and latch on to something or someone or some person. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is actually quite doing a lot of disservice, you know. I think suicides are far more complex. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is very simple, that even in circumstances where, let's say, a woman who is experiencing domestic violence dies by suicide, then every woman who experiences domestic violence does not die by suicide. So I'm not trying to minimize the domestic violence, but I'm trying to make a point that that we need to look at every individual case differently uh, because every individual person who then dies by suicide in the same circumstances is likely to have a whole set of circumstances which are so different that for them suicide was the only way out while it didn't feel like that to somebody else, for example, in the same uh, situation, but with not the same circumstances. Uh, So I think we should be very careful about what is uh, used as saying, well, you know, this person is to blame for it or this person is not to blame for it. But in general, I, I... don't like the idea of, uh, you know, jumping to a conclusion that if there is suicide, then there must be somebody to blame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think also very often we do that. I think society as a whole, we do that uh, because uh, we feel we feel the sense of loss. 
uh, and you know we feel that there has to be somebody to blame or some retribution or some you know there's that it's it's a kind of hitting out at someone just because you feel a loss and feel almost uh, unable to do anything else uh, so while it is understandable i think it's not necessarily the best way forward and unfortunately what happens is that in such circumstances everyone just finds that person to blame and then that's the end of it and we don't as a society actually ask ourselves what are we doing to change things what are we doing yeah. to ensure that more people do not die by suicide in such circumstances what mm. uh, precautions and protections are we putting into place uh, so that this does not happen now that discussion does not happen unfortunately you know there is a sense of having had a quick kind of a retributory solution to it and then we are out of it and then it's not our problem and i think that does not really help matters to be honest absolutely so mr tell me somebody who has already made up their mind for example the spate of suicides in bollywood the the, the one ju- just happened yesterday yes uh, the yes. case of sammi sharma and you know everyone was <laughs> yes. talking about it because you know his body was like there since two days nobody noticed him right, you know right, right. which is so strange in a world like this when you're constantly on you know connected at least with your near and dear ones so yes. i mean a person who has made up their mind that okay this is the end of it maybe losing hope in life losing hope in people can a suicide helpline be of any use i i think this notion that people have made up their mind uh, and once they made up their mind nobody can uh, uh, save them is not completely true it's not black and white as that you know mm-hmm. uh, of course there will be people who've gone so far and have made their mind up so much uh, that they won't even call a suicide help yeah Yeah. but for example samantra that you know like would they reach out for help when they just want to leave would i mean what can we do in such a situation we as an outsider somebody you know looking at it objectively well my answer to people has always been when people say what can i do about it mm. and i i think one of the things that all of us need to do and can do and doesn't require any huge amount of training or anything is that if you feel somebody is distressed uh, if you feel somebody might be so distressed that they might even have ideas about suicide or if they've kind of dropped hints about it then then there's only one simple thing to do which is ask you know if you ask uh, you will actually save a life uh the problem is that there are so many myths in our society uh, people feel oh my god if i ask him then maybe i'll give him some ideas about suicide that's completely untrue uh, you know it's not like uh, you ask somebody about suicide and they're going to say oh my god thank you so much huh? i had not thought about suicide thank you for letting me know i mean that's not how it happens in fact mm-hmm. what happens is if somebody is very distressed and you ask about suicide uh, i think they actually are relieved in many ways because uh, you know they're relieved in the sense that okay you can at least understand their situation and realize why they might be feeling suicidal and so that's a, that's something that they would appreciate that you are at least in a position to understand them uh and so so that might just open the doors for a conversation and secondly many people even when they have these thoughts of death and dying are still ambivalent about it you know they're not always 100% certain they're going to uh, die or kill themselves uh, so asking is probably your best opportunity to to actually prevent something like this from happening so you know and people say what can i do as an ordinary citizen my answer has always been if you see someone in that condition ask 
Uh, and if you ask, you might get into a conversation. If you get into a conversation, maybe you can save a life. You can direct them to some professional services. You might be able to direct them to a helpline. You might just sit down with them and talk with them. I think, uh, you know, everyone worries about, oh my God, where are the professionals and what are they doing? But actually, uh, you know, all of us as individuals can do so much more. And if we all of us did that collectively, then the lack of professionals at every point will not. And anyway, even if you had huge number of professional, a professional can't be placed at every single point in time, every person's life. So, so mm-hmm. clearly it's, it's people who come in touch with each other are the ones who should be doing the asking. So, you know, the simple, simple rule for almost everybody is if in doubt, ask. You've got nothing to lose. Uh, you're not going to make a person uh, think about suicide because you asked. You're not going to make them say, oh, my God, thank you so much. I'm going to now die by suicide. That's not going to happen. So you've got nothing to really lose. Please, please ask. You know, I mean, that's that's always been my simple one liner because not all of us can go off and get highly trained in how to prevent suicide and all. And nobody expects us to be doing that either. Uh, but this right. weekend as we can we can do as a community yeah right but so much so you know in these isolated times we're still isolated and covid times um when the communication is limited uh you know perhaps with uh you know our friends or other other people and we also do not show much distress as a society we not we show that everything is hunky-dory yes how do we tackle a situation like that where everybody everything seems fine but suddenly you know you lose people it's, it's a very kind of unusual and odd situation, isn't it, in our communities mm-hmm. currently. Uh, yeah. On one hand, we are highly hyper-connected uh, because yeah. of media. On the other hand, we also crave for our own space away from people. So we want to be able to shut out the world. And on the third thing is that uh, we might be hyper-connected, but we actually have very few close relationships in that sense. So... You know, it's it's a really unusual situation, which is uh, something that we as a society are still grappling with, with the way these changes, these huge uh, uh, changes that are happening in our social uh, lives in a way that social media and all of that has brought about. So it is very difficult. I mean, I don't I don't uh, the reason what I'm trying to say is that I don't have an easy, quick fire solution to say, oh, you know, do this and that will be fine. But I think one of the things that we all can do is, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that all of us at all times keep on banging on and asking our friends and relatives, are you well? Are you well? Are you well? I mean, that's not the solution, obviously. But when you do know that you have a friend or you do know that you have a relative or you know somebody close to you who for some reason might be distressed or has had distress or has conditions or circumstances in which they might feel distressed, then I think the best thing we can do as friends and family is to actually stay in touch, ensure that we stay in touch, ensure that you don't allow them to just isolate themselves. Now, those are things that we need to do. Again, there can't be a simple formula that, oh, okay, I'll call. You know, you have it, it's relationships between people are so different. How you call them, when you call them, what you say are so personally determined that it can't be very formulaic. Uh, and and also a lot of these concerns, we also need to understand that a lot of these concerns are also concerns and in a certain social class, uh, you know, in other social classes, 
uh, in our country, for example, uh, these may not be issues at all. And talking is not the issue because they might have certain other circumstances which are so uh, different in many ways uh, that unless you are able to address those circumstances and situations, you're not going to be able to help them. So talking may not help. Practical help might be required. Uh, you mm. know, so I think it varies it varies by individual, it varies at time, it also varies by what social class we are talking about. Right. Uh, coming back to the suicidal doctors, Samitra, yes. it's considered it's considered the highest in any profession, suicidal doctors. And, uh, you know, according to the data that's available on the internet, I don't know how much we can trust that data, but quoting that one doctor commits suicide every day in the US, which means they're quoting one million Americans lose their doctors to suicide. I don't know how much is that in India because I could not find any figure. What are we doing about the suicide among, uh, amidst doctors and what can we possibly do? And why is there so much of suicide in doctors? Okay, let's take the why question first. Hmm. Why is there so much suicide in doctors? I, I don't think that there has been uh, any conclusive research to say why. There are a lot of thoughts and leads and ideas around it that people think why there might be high rates of suicide among doctors. Uh, one is that uh, you know, do, be, think about the people who choose to become doctors. Usually they are likely to be people who are sensitive, uh, who are concerned about human condition in a sense, you know, they're concerned about people. Uh, so these are people who might already be sensitive. They are, uh, and secondly, then you have to, as a doctor, deal with life and death on a daily basis. Uh, you know, society assumes that you're going to be strong enough to do it. Uh, and that you will do it, but you don't necessarily, there's nothing in medical training which actually prepares you to be ready to deal with how death happens. Uh, and there's always a danger that doctors then perceive that as a personal failure. So, you know, it could be a group of people who have self-selected themselves to become doctors because they're sensitive. And then because they're sensitive, these things hit them harder than it would have hit somebody else. Uh, is not that sensitive. So that could be one reason. The second reason, as I said, is clearly uh, being a doctor is a highly stressful occupation. There is, you know, you've seen the spate of uh, times when in the last few years where doctors have been victims of violence from relatives, for example. Mm -hmm. Now that, why does that happen? Because there is an expectation that uh, a doctor will be in perfect uh, 20 perfect condition, able to deal with everything like a superhuman being, uh, 24 by seven. You know, there's mm -hmm. the notion that our doctors are also human beings, uh, and that they might have the same emotions and they might have the same, uh, personal concerns and they might have, they might also be fatigued is not something that our society expects our doctors to do. So we've put our doctors on the pedestal and then now they are supposed to live up to that ideal, which considering they're human beings is always a difficult thing to live up to that ideal kind of expectation that the society has from you as a doctor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, creates another level of stress. So it's a combination of personal things. It's a combination of how our health system is organized. It's a combination of the fact that very often doctors have to carry the blame and the burden for the failings of the healthcare system. You know, the average mm -hmm. 
actually see that all these complexities they are just you know if, if a person died then we have the doctor to blame uh, you know and that's the simplistic notion that people make just like i said if somebody died by suicide then somebody has to blame uh, right. be blamed you know these are simplistic notions that we sometimes made and i think it's a failure of our communication our failure to communicate to our societies uh, that these are complex situations and very often that may not be anyone to blame and very often the the thing to blame is actually a system but a system blaming a system does not give you an immediate target in front of you so it's easy to target the individual uh, but if we were genuinely uh thinking about it and if you are saying that the system very often is failing then we should be asking ourselves what are we doing to improve the system rather than just kind of blame the individual but that's a conversation that has just not happened in our societies really mm-hmm. and of course we are losing a lot of money as a country also when we lose doctors Well, I mean, we are losing money as a country when we lose anybody. Mm. Uh, you know, we keep on talking about India's demographic dividend. You know that mm. oh, we are a young country, and so there's a demographic dividend. Mm. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I you know, I try to say this just to drive home the point is that uh, India's demographic dividend is actually killing itself. uh at the moment it's busy killing itself uh, because the, the suicide rates among young people are the highest in the country uh, mm-hmm. we have the largest number of young people who die by suicide uh, among the ages of 18 to 40 which is the so called demographic dividend uh, mm-hmm. among women suicide is the number one cause of death among men suicide is the number two cause of death after road traffic accidents um so clearly you know it, it, our our demographic is dividend is dying because of suicide and we just seem to be standing on the sidelines and watching without actually taking active steps to try and uh, prevent this from happening mm-hmm. uh, so yeah i mean it is it is a shame uh, unfortunately suicides you see that's the thing the whole conversation about suicides was initially we had complete silence we had this the omerta about it you know we never mm-hmm. spoke so it's just all stigmatizing we didn't talk about it so any family which had had a suicide also would not discuss it you know it was all hush hush nobody mm-hmm. talked about suicide uh, we've now suddenly because everyone said oh we should talk about suicide so we've now gone to talking about suicides okay which is great mm-hmm. we've started talking mm-hmm. about suicide but when we've started talking about suicide we've got into this crazy thing of oh who's to blame let's find somebody to blame and let's kind of punish that person we have almost singularly refused as a society uh, to to introspect and ask ourselves is that what is it about our society what is it about our social organization what is it about events and things in our society which make people more likely to die by suicide and what are we doing about it uh, it's the same thing that happens with road traffic accidents for example mm-hmm. you know it's saying that look let us build safer roads so that people will not die of accidents uh, we get in busy thrashing up the driver under whose vehicle somebody might have come under um, right. you know that is that is whereas the evidence whereas the evidence with road traffic accident and with suicides for example is the same that if you build safer roads uh the design of how you design your roads and what you make your rules and everything are more likely to save lives than thrashing people up because they ran over someone uh, and very often the person who's uh, who's blamed for the accident for example uh it may not even be their fault 
because the way the whole thing has been designed you know if if you have poor design you right. get more accidents similarly if you poorly design your society uh, you are likely to get more suicides uh, but we don't indulge in that conversation what we do is we kind of try to have a quick fix solution to it blame somebody hang somebody for it and let's move on to the next topic you know uh, and i think that that has not really helped so while everyone i'm really glad that we talk about suicide but i would rather that the conversation about suicide actually started to be what can we do as a society to change mm. things mm. Uh, what are we doing systematically uh, right. to bring about changes so that people don't die by suicide and that's a conversation which is urgently needed uh, in our society but samitra i have been sort of checking all the twitter notes on uh, you know on suicide and of course the the, the chain of tweet, tweets that you did and also a couple of more who uh, supported it where the uh, suicide in the medical students and you know the country is yes. losing 35 crores yes. tell me yes. samitra we are talking about it uh, we are talking about it on twitter uh, is it having any kind of impact are we driving uh, uh, the point home I don't know to be honest about that. <laughs> uh, I think it's a tool as with other tools then one uses that tool and increasingly uh, what happens is that uh, you know like yeah I would love to say for example run a TV show on it now I as a individual have no access to the TV show I couldn't actually you know nobody going to fund me to do all of that uh, but a lot of social media provides uh, me an opportunity and a tool to get my point across and to try and convince other people uh, just like my talking to you just now right. i mean why would right. i be to talk to you just now because right. it's a way for me to say okay look let me try and change the nature of the debate and the nature right. of the discussion to something that i believe is more relevant uh, right. so so i i do think that things change i don't believe that things don't change like for example on twitter uh it's a very small gain and it's maybe the low hanging fruit and maybe it doesn't save it won't save anybody's life but you know the, the on twitter the entire campaign that so many of us have actively supported is to change the language around how people talk yes. about side and yes. that has had quite significant effect increasingly you find uh, journalists and the yeah. media actually nor talking or using the phrase died by suicide so you see that then that is an evidence that is a proof of some evidence that uh, that look things can change and that the change is possible uh, so one has has to be optimistic about it and and feel that it can happen i i definitely yeah. think it can uh, it's going to require a lot more effort and it's not going to just happen because people will turn over and everything will change a new leaf uh, but yeah i think i think it's possible i do think that uh, i do think that if i'm offered the option between no conversation between this mm. kind of racious yeah. conversation mm. i still choose the racious conversation over silence silence is actually far more of a problem than mm. inappropriate conversation because with inappropriate conversation you can at least do something to change it to a more appropriate conversation silence is like difficult to break you know mm. absolutely but sumitra tell me about and of course you have been also making this point uh, on twitter when we lost sushant and everybody was rallying around it from media houses to you know we know it all you know we've been watching it for the past more than a month I mean what what is your reaction to it I mean are we sort of 
really concerned about the situation are we milking it too much what are we really doing also the therapist coming out and you know revealing these informations i mean what is it sort of reflecting in terms of our culture and us as a society i i think the i, I think in the whole sushant singh case what what it has been and i've said this before also uh, mm. that it's a uh, media chasing eyeballs politicians chasing votes bollywood personalities chasing attention and a voyeuristic public um you know they're all made for each other kind of a combination um and so there is no you know there is no one smelling of roses in all of this uh you know for example i don't think the media would be putting out this kind of stuff and talking this stuff if there wasn't an audience for it so clearly they're doing it because their research shows that they have an audience and that audience is interested and is lapping up this kind of stuff the day the audience does not lap up this kind of information or this kind of news then then uh, you know media houses will also change uh, that does not absolve the media themselves of having a responsibility towards more responsible reporting but what i'm saying is that the media is also uh, you know media is complicit but the public is also in some ways complicit with this whole thing uh, so that that i think is happening the politicians love to kind of fish in muddy waters uh, and so is a lot of bollywood kind of seeing this as a potential to get some attention towards themselves and their own pet things uh, so really you know there is no one who you can say has really kind of anchored it and held it together uh, that kind of uh, that kind of leadership that kind of moral authority and moral leadership uh, that is required uh, to ensure that you steer the conversation to something that is more productive uh, for society now that has been sorely lacking uh from our entire civil leadership you know it be it anyone i mean you know media stars media houses or certain journalists are also are also leaders in their own sense and leader does not necessarily mean a political leader uh you know our intellectuals for example our academics uh our civil society leaders and so there has been a collective failure of that leadership to actually try and understand what is going on and to steer this entire discussion and conversation uh to something that would actually result in some productive outcomes uh but then as i said there is nobody who, you know there's a lot of short term thinking by everybody uh and everyone's trying to kind of uh make hay while the sun shines so as to speak you know mm-hmm. uh it's unfortunate but that's how it is and one hopes that over time we'll be able to get past this and we will have leadership which will allow this conversation to be steered towards more productive outcomes Mm-hmm. and what what about the you know what about the therapist who comes on record for I mean, with that with that therapist issue i have been very clear i've said this in my on on twitter i've said it in publicly at other spaces too uh, which is that i i'm not completely convinced with the argument being made by the therapist uh, for breaking confidentiality okay um, mm-hmm. the the well okay i understand that confidentiality is not absolute let's get that out of the way mm-hmm. uh, there are all in all countries and in all laws uh, it recognizes that there will be some instances when confidentiality will have to be broken um 
and and because confidentiality is such an important issue the bar for that is set extremely high okay uh, and some checks and balances are put in place what do i mean by bar set high in most countries uh, you the you know the laws will say that well you can break confidentiality if somebody's life is at risk either the life of the person or the life of someone else you know if you if a person made a threat that they're going to go out and kill somebody and they have you know you are a therapist then you you do have a responsibility to warn that third party and say listen your life might be at risk and that would not be regarded as a violation of confidentiality in fact that would be regarded as your responsibility uh, or if uh, you know somebody said that they were going to kill them go home and kill themselves and you talk to their family and said you try to prevent that suicide then clearly that again would not be regarded as a violation of 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 confidentiality now those have always been those uh, except and the law also has a thing where uh, there's this idea or notion of public interest okay uh, which is very nebulous and most laws don't define it but i'll give you an example of public interest if somebody let's say you're a therapist and your patient for whatever reason says to you that you know what i've i've planted say a bomb at some railway station or something mm-hmm. uh, now you should break confidentiality because it's in public interest that uh that this does not happen and so talking to the police and telling them about it would not be regarded as a break of confidentiality you know mm-hmm. so there are circumstances when you can do that but in all of these circumstances in each one of these circumstances i mentioned to you the person who is the threat is the is the patient okay that the patient is a threat to someone either to themselves their lives or to somebody else's life now in this sushant singh rajput's case the issue is that uh, sushant singh rajput is dead so mm. he is not a threat for his life you know right, right what you're saying or the argument and justification being made was that his girlfriend's life was a threat from the public and so i'm doing this to protect her from the public i could understand if you are doing this to protect her from him but to protect her from the public i mean now that's not an argument of public interest that has ever been made uh, mm. before for being confidential mm. you know so assuming like there is a person a patient a uh, his girlfriend b and the public is c i can understand you breaking confidentiality because a is at risk either to a himself or to b or even to c but yeah. i can understand you breaking confidentiality because b is at risk from c why would you break a's confidentiality because b is at risk from c i mean that com- you know this is a law and order issue if her life is at risk then this is a law enforcement problem you know how does the law actively clamp down on on the public threatening someone uh, or doing this to a person so mm. that can't be grounds for breaking confidentiality and also if you're going to break confidentiality there is a way and manner of doing it um, you know i i wouldn't uh, believe that giving a public statement to the to the press is uh, conducive towards trying to save lives so you know the reason as well as the manner it in, in which it was done is completely inappropriate this is not to downplay or underplay the fact that his girlfriend has faced the most difficult circumstances and may or may not be to blame at all and that that how she has been treated by on social media and all of that uh, while accepting and accepting all of that 
I still believe that the solution to that did not lie in breaking confidentiality. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really my point. And you could have said, you know, you meaning the therapist or could have said any other thing to en- encourage a, a more sensible conversation. Uh, but I don't see how breaking confidentiality would help. Uh, and especially because I also feel that people who are all, you know, the, all, the kind of conspiracy theories that have been floating around and people who believe in those conspiracy theories, uh, this is not going to change their mind anyway. Mm. You know, Absolutely. I mean, they're not going to pay. it's not like they're going to say, oh, thank you so much. Susan Walker has now said that, uh, you know, he had a bipolar disorder. So now I've changed my mind. I'm going to just give up my conspiracy theories. I mean, that's not going to happen anyway. So, you know, from all perspectives, I don't see what was being achieved or what was the aim of the whole thing. Uh, so I'm quite, uh, you know, and, and people ask me, what would you do in the circumstances? And I would say I wouldn't have done what what this particular therapist did i wouldn't have done that absolutely but despite despite all the hue and cry which uh, you know a lot of people from the fraternity were doing on twitter the video is still there and uh, people are watching it and uh, i mean there has been no i mean the video is still there but you see that uh, i mean you know the problem is that it's not, I mean, what you say to media, there's so many of videos, there's videos today which are so disturbing, which media is putting up. You know, where do you draw? When, I mean, I, I despair in that sense. And, you know, how much, uh, how how many people can you chase down individually? I think uh, at some level, uh, media as an industry uh, and editors, for example, particularly, and journalists too, particularly, mm-hmm. uh, need to do some soul searching, need to get their act together, need to say that, look, we have some kind of a journalistic code of practice, which we are going to respect and follow and have some uh, some sanctions in place when uh, when the industry or people who are professionals, you see, if journalism is going to call itself a profession, then it also needs to have these professional ethics codes which it's going to follow uh, and any violation of those codes should invite some sanction from within the community itself you know from within the journalistic community from the editors from media uh, now unless you do that how much else can you otherwise police media you know and every time you say all of this then they will media will say oh this is the freedom of speech and you're uh, talking about freedom of speech it is not an f- issue about uh, talking about freedom of speech nobody's questioning media's right to uh, free speech and to question everything I mean that's an important role uh, but it needs to be done sensitively it needs to be done in such a way that you don't put other people's lives at risk I mean you know I, I think that's an important uh, role that media needs to also acknowledge uh, yeah I mean there's a whole bunch of videos which shouldn't be on social media uh, which are there uh, you know there was also a video somebody put up which was something apparently a video secretly shot of uh, of uh, the uh, autopsy being done oh, uh, yeah so you know I mean this kind of stuff I mean where do you where, who and where would you stop I mean the problem is there is a lack of sanction you know people wouldn't first of all there's no clarity on what the rule is or mm-hmm. what are what are ethical rules or boundaries for it so we don't have clarity on that because they're not really stated and secondly when somebody then violates those boundaries uh, there is no sanction against that so you know both things problem so we need a clear set of boundaries we need to say so far and no further and when that is violated then somebody needs to actually sanction it and you know many many professions rely on self-regulation or mm-hmm. meaning 
you know, they'll have a professional organization which regulates you, you themselves. Uh, but we know that self-regulation has not worked. Uh, you know, not worked in many professions, but it's up to the up to journalism to actually show whether self-regulation can work for itself. Because the alternative is terrible. The alternative, and which journalism should be worried about, is that you will get government regulation or you'll get state regulation. And I don't think that that's such a great idea either. Uh, but you know, it's very difficult to get this across. I don't know who who should be listening to this and doing something about it. Hmm. And also, uh, before we end the conversation, Samastu, tell me a spate of suicides uh, that got influenced after Sushant's suicide. Uh, right. What could we possibly have done about it? They were sort of influenced. They were. Where they're media driven, where they're personally driven. I mean, I, I'm just seeing this going all over the place. Well, I mean, look, there is enough research, uh, and this is somewhere where I would unhesitatingly uh, criticize media for it. Uh, there is, uh, uh, there is a lot of decades of research evidence from many such episodes across the world, uh, and most recently with Robin Williams' death in the U.S., yes. which was recently as two years ago, uh, where, uh, you know, for example, after Robin Williams' death, uh, while suicides only increased by about three or five percent, uh, the manner in which people had died and the method that they used for killing themselves, there was a 33 percent increase in the method used by Robin Williams to kill himself. Uh, and that was because this was completely blown out in the media. It was all over there, detailed descriptions of how it happened. All of that was there. So, so you know, there is more than sufficient evidence that how media reports these suicides, uh, especially celeb, what are called celebrity suicides, uh, has a huge impact on copycat suicides, you know, a huge impact on suicides happening later on, especially because uh, th- these celebrities might carry a certain uh, certain value for many vulnerable individuals. Uh, so in this instance, I, I mean, I you know, we've been warning, a lot of us have been warning media and social media to be very careful with the way uh, suicides are being reported or that particular suicide was being reported because of the danger of... Uh, of copycat suicides. But unfortunately, you know, nobody heeds those warnings. There have been two or three stories now, which I've read in the newspaper, and there might be more because I don't know, I don't know the details of every single case, but at least two, three stories. I remember reading from various parts of the country, especially young people, young children, Mm -hmm. uh, dying of suicide because dying by suicide and very clearly writing in their suicide notes that they were disturbed about, uh, Mr. Rajput's death and so they were going to, uh, you know, kill themselves uh, and using the same method that was used by Mr. Rajput. So, so clearly, I mean, media has blood on its hands on this instance. Yeah. I know that sounds like very strong yes. language, but, yeah. but it is, I mean, in this instance, media has got blood on its hands and uh, they need to actually reform themselves on this issue, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much, so Mr. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. If we become more sensitive towards each other, can we prevent these suicides? I think we can. Do let me know what you guys think about it. You know where to find us on our Twitter and Instagram handles with Metaphysical Lab and Epilogue Media. And you can find me on my LinkedIn handle. 
that's it folks uh, if you wish you can go and rate us on apple as well so that they can find us faster whoever is looking for mental health podcasts take care of yourself and i will see you guys next week mm-hmm.